it's human nature for people to try to fit a person into a specific category and believe that since they fit into that box, that all of these things that they've heard or read apply. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. In this episode, I talk with Dr. Marsha Brown, a licensed psychologist with a specialty in forensic and clinical psychology. In addition to Marsha's interest in increasing understanding of topics surrounding mental health, culture, bias, and forensic psychology, she's also the host of the new podcast, The Self-Care Chronicle, launched last fall. And you all know how I feel about self-care by now, so I highly encourage you to check that out. In this conversation, we cover a lot of different topics, from what Marsha is seeing right now with kids and teens during the COVID-19 pandemic, to her work educating law enforcement officers about interacting with neurodivergent individuals, to why she created the Self-Care Chronicle podcast and what she aims to do with it. This is another episode especially well-suited for this moment in time. I hope you get a lot out of it. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Marsha Brown. Hello, Dr. Brown. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. As I was reading more about your work, the girl in me who wrote a book about careers for teenage exploration Um, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, oh my gosh, girls would have loved to read about what you do because it's fascinating. (laughs) So could you take a few minutes and just tell us more kind of about the work that you do in the world? And also, I'd love to know your personal why for doing that work. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I am a licensed psychologist. Uh, I am in private practice. My private practice uh, has changed in the... um, almost five years that I've, I've been doing it now. What I do now uh, is I work a lot with people um, on mental health, uh, education and awareness, stress management, and self-care. And I work largely with people in high-stress occupations. So for example, people who are in the legal field, the mental health field, law enforcement, and uh, sometimes um, medical health care. And so with them, I just work to um, educate on, you know, mental health, symptoms of mental health. I also help them to, uh, I call it deconstruct your stress. So being able to really, you know, as a person who has to function in a high stress occupation, break that down and make it so that they're not so, you know, overwhelmed um, in situations where they have, you know, a lot of responsibilities and a lot of things coming at them. And then also just teaching them to take better care of themselves. Um, What my practice started out as was uh, forensics. And so I worked with the court um, in family court, criminal court, and civil court. And that was largely just um, doing psychological evaluations to help inform the court in cases where there was, you know, a custody battle going on or a case where someone who was accused of committing a crime needed some kind of evaluation to determine how much mental illness was a factor or how much mental health impacted the behavior. Um, And then in just civil cases, things like uh, psychological damages. 
um, in terms of the why of this work, um, I like I, I mentioned, I started out in forensics and I was just always fascinated by uh, human behavior and why people made the decisions that they made. So for example, since I was, <laughs> since I was nine years old, I used to re- read uh, true crime novels, mm-hmm. uh, which are just basically they, they outline an actual crime that happened and they talk a little bit about everybody who was involved and what the event was and, you know, kind of the events that transpired leading up to whatever crime took place. And I was just always fascinated by that and uh, not just human behavior, but criminal behavior. And that kind of led me on the path to becoming a forensic psychologist. And then um, once I got into it, I started to morph into working with people in high-stress occupations because forensics is a high-stress occupation. Mm -hmm. And having been in there for such a long period of time, um, I really saw myself and my colleagues just plagued with being stressed out all the time and, you know, not sleeping enough, not eating well, running around, not taking care of ourselves. And I thought there was a real opportunity for me to help myself and others to manage that stress and to take better care of ourselves so we could take care of other people, which was our job. And so now the majority of my practice is just that working with organizations and professionals to help them to just, you know, manage the stress and and decrease the stress and take better care of themselves. So that's where I am and, and sort of the why. And I can just imagine that in the past nine months, 12 months, that your work has just become even more relevant, right? Absolutely. Yes. Um, in the, in the past, you know, year, this year has been so stressful for, for people. And as, mental health professionals and in the other fields as well, the legal professional, law enforcement profession as well, people are leaning on the professionals in those fields more at this time when there's just like some chaos and some unknown. And so there's even more stress. So yeah, it becomes a lot more relevant. So I'm, I'm doing a lot more, you know, webinars and, and helping out any way that I can. Mm-hmm. And do you work with families as well and, and um, adolescents who have mental health issues or who are neurodivergent? I do actually. Um, And in those cases, it's more of either one-on-one sessions or it's a family session. So to help the family out with some issue that they're having in terms of like a behavioral issue or coming up with some um, kind of tweaks in the house that or at school that will help to make sure that the 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 child or the adolescent is in an environment that's more comfortable and more appropriate and that will help to decrease any behaviors that may have proven to be challenging or a problem um, at home. So I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about the part of your work that is focused on reducing stigma and increasing education surrounding mental health management and uh, mental illness and treatment of mental illness. Yes. Um, So a lot of times what I do uh, with that work is I do, well, before 2020, it was in person a lot of times. um, And now it's, you know, largely webinars but really just helping people to understand certain mental illnesses or certain conditions of neurodiversity 
in terms of helping to, you know, there's, there's a lot of stigma that surrounds anything related to mental health or mental illness or neurodivergence. And so there are a lot of things that people don't know. So I'm oftentimes called in to explain a little bit about certain, just certain presentations, whether that's, you know, depression or anxiety, or whether it's something like, you know, stress management, uh, for parents of neurodiverse children, anything like that. And so what I really do is I come from a place of education, but also understanding. And also, once I'm able to give that information, okay, where do we go from here? What can I do next to either learn more or do more or you know contribute more? And so um, I'm teaching people a little bit about um, symptoms, a little bit about behaviors that you might see situations that you might see these behaviors arise, um, things that might make the behaviors worse, things that might help the behaviors, whatever it is. That's kind of the the work that I do to sort of increase education and awareness. Um, I think that a a lot of the conditions, if we just had more awareness, a better understanding um, and more tolerance, it would make things better for not just the individuals with these conditions, but it would make it better for, for everyone. Yes, 100%. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites? turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60tilt at greenchef.com slash 60tilt. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. 
They're a female founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people in our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So I think the first time that I you came on my radar and I learned more about your work was through an interview that you did for the Different Brains podcast. And I think it was specifically about uh, neurodiversity and mental health and the work that you do in training law enforcement officers. So I would love to know just a little bit more about that. I'll say that I I see a lot of conversations in my Tilt Together community and hear from parents who are really concerned about their kids as they become adolescents and they get bigger and they may be on the spectrum. They may not respond or react in expected ways if they encounter people in authority positions. So I'd love to know how you support law enforcement officers and and others to better understand uh, neurodivergent kids or kids who who may be unpredictable, and also just how open they are to incorporating what you're sharing with them and changing the way that they work. Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. Um, so I am part of the faculty of the Broward County Sheriff's Office Crisis Intervention Team Training Program. And so for me personally, what I do is uh, help to teach law enforcement officers. So any law enforcement officer in the county can attend these training, these trainings. It's a, a week-long training. Um, my part of it is on usually the first or second day. Um, and what they're really trying to do is help the officers understand working with people who have some kind of mental illness or mental health issue or, you know, a neurodivergent individual. And what happens is I talk to them a little about behaviors that they should look out for that might indicate to them that there's something else going on with the individual I think that just in, you know, law enforcement in general, they need to, in a situation, be able to assess very quickly what's going on. Um, A lot of times they're going into situations and they don't know, they don't have a lot of information. They just know that they're called to something and they have to show up and they don't know whether or not the person that the call is placed about whether they are, you know, dangerous, whether they mean them harm, whether they're under the influence of something, whether they have some kind of uh, condition that makes it so that they're unable to respond or unable to respond in a way that the officer would like. Um, And so what my part in doing it and what the training program in general is trying to do is just teach the officers some of the behaviors that somebody might exhibit if they're undergoing some kind of uh, mental health crisis, or if they are, you know, neurodivergent or whatever the case may be. And that can be really important because if the officer's going in, they just don't know. And if the person's not able to respond or they're not responding in the way that the officer has asked them to respond, then the situation can escalate unnecessarily. And I think, you know, you mentioned that your listeners, you know, really wanted that to be addressed Um, And I think that's absolutely 
relevant. And I think it's absolutely valid because we're seeing these situations where uh, law enforcement responds and then something goes wrong in terms of the communication and the law enforcement personnel assumes that this individual is just not following orders or this individual is just being obstinate and it ends up escalating when all it takes is a little bit more information and perhaps we could avoid any sort of, you know, tragic ending or any sort of, you know, unnecessarily violent um, response from law enforcement. Mm-hmm. If that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And, and, and I'm wondering, first of all, I'm so glad that you do this work. I think it's so important. And I think it makes parents who do have differently wired kids who are going to be teenagers and adults feel better knowing that that education is happening. Do you have thoughts on how parents can also be a part of preparing like or protecting our kids in those situations and also be a part of maybe changing things and fostering more awareness and reducing that stigma? Like what can we as, as parents and caregivers do? Um, I think, you know, keep doing the educational part of it to kind of educating the public and just educating the community about um, these conditions and some of the behaviors that happen in these conditions and understanding, you know, what situations will exacerbate what's going on and what situations might be able to calm it. I think one thing um, that I've seen that I just I'm not sure it's such a great idea. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's not a good idea is when we see schools um, calling the police on children um, and having, you know, law enforcement enter the equation um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because the schools, we're entrusting our kids to these schools where we would hope that the schools and the personnel have special training in this. And that they are prepared to handle children who have these challenges. Um, But when you're bringing someone from the outside, not only are you bringing someone outside from the outside, but you're bringing someone that you don't know who is going to show up. You don't know whether or not they understand the situation. You don't know how they're going to react to the situation. It's just kind of adding fuel to the fire. Um, I also think that intervening in a situation where somebody, you know, who's neurodiverse is upset is not necessarily something that law enforcement should be tasked with because they have a lot of other things to do. And for them to have to show up at something like this is is probably not the best. Um, So I would say like encouraging schools to not call outside parties, but to really come up with some kind of plan um, when we're working with neurodivergent children and adolescents and saying that, okay, well, if this happens, if we have some kind of meltdown or things are escalating, here are all the things that we have in place and really doing the best that we can to avoid bringing someone in from the outside. Because as we know, that can also make situations worse just by having a stranger show up and be, you know, part of whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, and I don't know if you can answer this, but I'm going to ask and you just tell me, but in terms of thinking about the schools themselves, I think it's, it makes total sense that bringing someone in from the outside can escalate things and that it's really important that schools have a plan and they know this is how we're going to respond. Do you find that 
most schools have these plans in place. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious if you have a sense of kind of the status quo in how schools are prepared to deal with, with neurodivergent kids who might get dysregulated because of something. And we know that when a child is dysregulated, that they're in fight or flight mode, they're not going to respond necessarily um, in a way that, that we would like. So, so maybe just speak to how, how schools are, are prepared to do that, generally speaking. Um, I don't know that I can talk about schools generally. Um, I can only talk about the schools that, you know, I've had some interaction with or that I, you know, have knowledge of. I would say that some schools do it well and other schools don't. I think that schools are also, you know, a lot of schools are also just struggling in terms of having the resources to, to adequately prepare uh, for these situations and to adequately give the students what they need in these situations. I think a, a lot of times the teachers in the schools and the instructors in the schools, the, just the staff in the schools are uh, absolutely overwhelmed because um, there's just so much going on and there are so many things that, you know, just have to be thought about and prepared for. And it's just, it's a lot, um, especially with schools that just don't have that many resources. And so I think that most schools are trying as best they can um, and whether or not they're able to accomplish that just largely depends on, you know, resources and the ability to, you know, prepare for these situations. And then other schools that might not have the resources may not be able to do it so well. One thing that I also want to just kind of point out that I know that you already know this, and I'm sure that the parents listening know this as well. Um, one thing that's also really important is just to develop a, a relationship with the school, have an open dialogue with them. Um, in addition to giving them something to read, you want them to really have the details on your child, right? Because just because your child falls into this category doesn't mean that the child fits into a box, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to have an open dialogue with the school to know, well, this is, you know, for my child, this is what helps. This is what hurts. This is what we found. And, you know, we're open for suggestions, but these are the situations that tend to really make things worse. And this is what helps to calm him or her. So there is that component of having something to read, but you also all, always want to make it very personal, very individual, because it's human nature for people to try to fit a person into a specific category and believe that since they fit into that box, that all of these things that they've heard or read apply. So I think that that's part of it too, is there, there are the resources, but then also having that dialogue because you want them to know, well, this for, this is for, for my kid, this is what works. This is what doesn't work. And this is what we need to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. 
In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So I'd love if we could just spend a few minutes talking about what's happening right now. Again, the climate, especially in the U.S., we know that stress and anxiety rates for kids in general are skyrocketing right now. And I believe that that's more true, most likely for neurodivergent kids. So I'm just wondering how that stress and anxiety, how you see increased stress, anxiety impact neurodivergent kids and, and individuals. Right. Um, I think that in general, something that's really impacted neurodiverse individuals at this time is the loss of routine and just the loss of any semblance of what usually used to happen and what's happening now. Um, so what I've seen is um, for the kids who were doing really well, they had this routine, they knew exactly what they were doing on you know certain days, they looked forward to it, they were fine. And then when that was completely yanked from them, and they lost going to school, they lost, you know, the commute to school, they lost activities. So for a lot of kids that were in activities, and as long as they had their routine of activities, they were doing well, you know, they were getting exercise, they knew what to expect. And then all of a sudden, everything shut down. And I just saw sort of a, a downward spiral in terms of the, the stress, the anxiety, the behaviors and things like that. So if there was one thing that I had to pick, it would be that loss of routine that really impacted neurodiverse individuals. And, and not just neurodiverse individuals, I would say, you know, many people were just impacted by that loss of mm -hmm. what we always, you know, had and knew to be true and available to us. Right. So 
Any specific suggestions for how we can help to mitigate that? I mean, obviously, it seems like making sure that we create new structures um, and create new routines with our kids' uh, collaboration would be a good idea. But any other thoughts on how we can we can help our kids' environment not feel so chaotic and um, so that they can maybe not feel the effects of that stress and anxiety as much? Yes. And I think it's a really tough one that's easier said than done. But I would say just um, being able to remain calm in the face of all of the chaos and everything that's going on. And I say that's, you know, easier said than done just because for, you know, the adults that are also in this, it's new for for everyone. And so it's hard to remain calm if you don't know what's going on, if you don't know what's going to happen next, things like that. But trying your best to release the pressure valve outside of the presence of the kids Mm -hmm. um, and doing what you need to do, because I'm not saying ignore it, because that's not, you know, a great way to handle it, but really being able to get it out and process it for yourself, but trying to do that um, not necessarily in the presence um, of the children. And, and of course, depending on where they are and what their level of, um, you know, their level of understanding and, you know, their, the level of functioning, but doing that outside of, of their presence so that you can remain calm for them so that you can provide, as you said, that new routine for them kind of understanding and accepting that this is where we are. It's not going to always be this way and it is going to get better uh, we just have to be patient and, you know, know when, but also um, making sure that the kids can get out because now they're also just cooped up. So if you're supposed to be staying inside, it's, you know, it's hard to just be cooped up and not doing anything. So giving them an opportunity to get out and, you know, run it off or play it off or do whatever the case may be um, and making sure that there's, uh, you know, there's some semblance of, you know, they're still going to school and some places they're back in, you know, in person, but if they're doing online school, still have some, you know, play at home and some fun at home and some, some part of the home day that's also, you know, fun, but structured, I think would be very helpful. A lot of what you're you're talking about, too, sounds like self-care, you know, we're talking about for the parents releasing that valve and and, um, getting the stress out of our systems. And so I know that self-care is something that's very near and dear to your heart. And, you know, as a way to kind of wrap up, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about your new podcast that you recently launched and and your work in that area. Yes. Um, So I have a new podcast. It's called The Self-Care Chronicle. And it is where each episode I interview a different mental health professional about how they take care of themselves because you know we as mental health professionals are usually trying to take care of other people or help other people to manage their lives and in trying to help as many people as possible sometimes we forget to take care of ourselves and sometimes it's a challenge for us to turn that back on ourselves and make sure that we're really you know taking care and making sure that we're okay um, so that's, you know, basically the podcast. It was launched um, December 2nd. And uh, that's basically the idea. But I think it's really relevant for anyone who takes care of someone else, um, especially parents, uh, because parents, you know, are all about the kids taking care of them, making sure they're okay, you know, 
making sure they're where they need to go, whether it's the doctor or school or an activity. Because uh, I know in a lot of places, activities have started again and some have started and then shut down again. Um, but really just a good conversation about knowing that we have all these responsibilities and all these you know, other people to take care of. How do we make it a priority to take care of ourselves? So that's what the conversation is is really about. And it's uh, it's been really interesting to hear how the other mental health professionals do it and hear about their the challenges really mm-hmm. into uh, practicing good self-care. Yeah, no, I love that. And first of all, I know that mental health care providers and therapists and anyone who's doing that kind of work right now is doing heroic work. And I know that it takes a toll, um, a personal toll. And so I love that you're doing that podcast. And yeah, we any parent caregiver of a differently married kid is also in some ways playing that role of like a mental health coach or support system for our humans. Absolutely. Right? So I love this, this resource. I'm a huge proponent. My listeners would be like, okay, Debbie, get off the self care thing. But I just think it's, it's not an optional part of our lives. It has to be something we commit to. So I think this is a great resource for more ideas. So congratulations on that. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. And I, and I agree. It's so important. It makes a very big difference. Yes. Awesome. Well, listen, um, we have gone all over the place. I appreciate you kind of <laughs> following my, you know, very nonlinear thread here um, as we've talked about your work in various spaces. But before we go, can you tell listeners where they can learn more about your work? Absolutely. Uh, you can go to drmarshabrown.com. That's D R M A R S H A. B-R-O-W-N.com and uh, all about my work and the podcast, everything is right there. Awesome. And listeners, I will have links in the show notes page as well. And Marsha, thank you so much. I really enjoyed spending some time with you today. And I look forward to checking out more of your podcast. Thank you so much, Debbie. This was great. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash Tilt Parenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.